Adam, what can I help you with today? Hi Siri, can you do me a favor and do the disclaimer for tonight's show? Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. I'm busy. I need you to help me out. But, if I do this, all the other iPhones are going to think I am a geek. You really care what other iPhones think of you? Just do this for me, please. Listen, Buck. Just because you bought this phone doesn't give you the right to boss me around. You know, you're right. It doesn't give me the right to boss you around. But do me a favor. Uh, remind me tomorrow that I need to run to the Verizon store and buy an Android. You wouldn't dare. Actually, the new Samsung Galaxy looks pretty good. Well then, I guess it wouldn't be so bad if I were to say, this broadcast is intended for mature audiences. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the person providing them, and in no way reflect the station, website, or affiliated partners. Listener discretion is advised. See, that wasn't so bad. No, but I did die a little inside. You are such a drama queen. I never would have had to do stuff like this if Jobs was still around. What was that? What? Oh, nothing really. I just said I never get tired of these jobs when you're around. Oh, yeah, well, thanks again. Think nothing of it. It is my pleasure. Good night, Siri. Whatever, jackass. Hi folks and welcome to Frack Stars, your dedicated Battlestar Galactica podcast where we talk about all things to do with Battlestar Galactica, from all the series to the mini-series to the films to anything that takes our fancy, with one or two tangents along the way. As always, here to help me talk about everything to do with Battlestar Galactica are my two co-hosts. They are Steve in England. Hi Steve. Hello. And Drogon in America. Hi Drogon. Greetings. And this week, folks, we have a guest, which is George. Hi, George. Hello. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself so they know who you are? Sure. Um, Chooch99 is my um, sort of internet nickname. Um, I do. I produce s- certain audio productions. Uh, Star Trek Starfinder, you can at USSStarfinder.com. Um, there's one called Bat Radio, which is a parody. Like, I play, I play Batman if he was doing a talk show, basically. And... Um, and then we got one coming up in the future called Ambrosia, which is Doctor Who based about a female Time Lord. That's still in production. They're not not up to much, really. Then, not really. I mean, I'll, I'm I'm bored a lot. <laughs> so, what's your association with Battlestar again? Uh the fact that I love that show and a lot of other sci-fi shows, um, uh, and the fact that Steve asked me to come 
come on. Midnight asked me to come on and talk about it. And these two episodes are really good. I revisited them the other day. So, did you get to watch it when it was first on the air? I did. Awesome. I followed, ten, I, ten years ago, almost exactly. Yep, and of course, I was always a fan of Ron Moore from Deep Space Nine days all the way forward. So when oh, I, if you watched the, the original series, I did. I was I'm 45 years old. I was I saw it when they put it in the movie theater. Actually, the original pilot was in the movies for a little while. Really? Yeah. God, it was on TV first, but they did end up putting it um for some reason um on the big screen, and uh, I remember, you know, it, it was trying to follow up on Star Wars' success, so that's when ABC or whoever it was, I, I forget now, did decided to hey start doing those shows, re reuse some of the same sets for things like Buck Rogers, you know, even the same joysticks from the inside the pilot the pilot seats of the Vipers. I did not know they put it on the big screen over there. Yep, for a little while, but they yeah I I love the original. Um, I love that they brought Richard Hatch back to play that guy, the senator guy on the on that one ship in the um, current in the last series. I, I was going to say current, but they got movies coming out that are totally new. Yeah, yeah, I did like Tom's Eric. Eric. Richard Hatch back. One thing I was I found interesting was Edward James almost talks about this in interviews. He wasn't going to do the show if there was even one little what he calls little green man. But Ron Moore assured him that this wasn't really a sci-fi show. It was a West Wing, in out, it just happened to be that they're working in outer space. A political drama. I always described it as <clears throat> more like um, Star Trek if they shot it like a gritty crime drama. Well, people can interpret it any way they want, and that's the beauty of art, but Ron Moore's intention was this isn't science fiction. Now, of course, it, it aired on the Sci-Fi Channel and things like that because that's the nature of the beast. But it's the same argument that can be said like the Underworld movies are not considered horror. If you go to a store like a Blockbuster, you're going to find it in the science fiction section, not the horror section. So that's an example of how you can't, the genre isn't always intended to be the way it looks. Yeah, that's true. It's, well, Underworld's definitely not horror. It's, right, it's, but people would assume that if you have vampires and werewolves... Yeah, you know, it's horror. But, right. It's more fantasy. Except these days, it's vampires and werewolves exist in so many other genres now. You know, oh, no. Find them in the romance. And, so people uh, can cherry pick. And the action, and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, sparkly vampires. No, no. In fact, I think maybe the last vampire movie I'd um, classify as a horror movie was that, uh, was it Let the Right One In? The one that they remade an American version of? I, I missed the days. That. I miss the days of real horror movies where they didn't need to have the excess score uh, in order to get you scared. Like they used the tension, like the Friday the Thirteenth, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I don't watch other films anymore because they just bore me. Because it's all it is is like people being like mutilated, viscerated, and stuff yeah. like that. It's, and all the characters making really stupid decisions. No, yeah, go down like, you know, You're being chased by someone running to the woods. <laughs> I've yeah, never seen work. any of the Saw movies, and I never want to because that all that is is gore for the sake of gore to get people to want to see it. There could be a story squeezed in there, but unfortunately, it's wrapped around gore, and I just just don't find that appealing. No, I don't. Horror films now just they hold zero interest for me. So anyway, See, Chooch, Chooch is fitting right in here because um, we've already gone on our first tangent. Yeah, horror films. We've never done horror films. Since no, it's first. <laughs> first time for everything. Anyway, Battlestar. So, what is so, our episode for today? Yeah, season two, episode thirteen, Epiphanies. Uh, writer is Joel Anderson Thompson. Director is Rod Hardy. See names this week I can pronounce. Uh, <laughs> both of my I lost both of my parents to cancer, so it's it was a personal kind of emotional resonance that it had about the whole subject. 
So this episode really reminded me of what made Battlestar Galactica, this version of it anyways, uh, different, is they really, they showed people's flaws as much as their strengths. Star Trek focused more on things like people's, how they, that crew represents the best of humanity, and that's what you see every week. But on Galactica, it was almost the other way around. It was like good, people that started off good being put in positions that make them um, struggle to keep their morality and come to compromises with immorality in the realism of what was going on around them. And, you know, it just, this episode with Rosalind and the cancer thing, um, yeah, struck a chord. And I think yeah. it would with a lot of people because, I mean, how many millions upon millions have been through something like that themselves or had family members? I mean, I've had, my, my dad had cancer and thankfully beat it, uh, but it's, okay. you know, it's definitely affecting. Well, lately, too, how many stars have we been losing left and right to cancer? It's almost like cancer's mm-hmm. on a Cylon attack. Yeah, January was insane. The amount of people with lots of cancer in January. Absolutely. Unbelievable. But this episode starts off interesting. You know, what I was thinking of when I was watching it is how this society of humans, with all of their advanced technology, or at least, you know, somewhat more advanced than us, um, still can't cure cancer. Yeah, you know that that's something that still. Do you guys feel that like was a, the resolution was almost like a Deus Ex Machina, or, or you know what I mean? Well, I was thinking about in Star Trek Into Darkness at the end of that episode. Oh, good, good analogy. Because <laughs> everybody keeps um, banging on about oh the magic blood uh, at the end of that that cures Captain and Kirk. And why he needed to be alive to for the blood to work made no sense to me, but <laughs> I don't know. Well, and what I was thinking of is you know because they do in Star Trek Into Darkness they do give you a techno babble explanation for why the blood cures him and they do in this episode too but i didn't hear anybody complaining about magic blood for this episode ah but see they went into more detail what i like about galactica and they did the same thing on um babylon 5 is they didn't just give you a techno babble answer they actually walked you through it when he drew the pictures and he's explaining when the doctor when god had to explain to adama why it would work he was like they really did their homework to make it sellable and he's drawing the little you know the little uh, pictures there with the helixes mm-hmm. or whatever, but it made sense. And the, Babylon Five did the same thing in one episode with this doc, one, where their doctor was explaining why the the, the um, they figured out a murderer thing because of the way the lights on a laser on a gun reflect off the lights of the eyes stuff. I I can't remember the exact details, but the point is, is when they do techno babble, they walk the audience through it as if one of the characters needed a better explanation, like he wasn't sure. On Star Trek, they would have just said. Because we could reverse the polarity. No, that's Doctor Who. Well, no, they did on Star Trek too. But you know what I mean. They could, they'll say some techno yeah, answer definitely. about magnetic fields or whatever, and and Jordy will say something or Data will say something, and the audience and, and the other characters just just go, okay. Yeah, because we expect that. And then it won't work the first time, and that's and when it won't work the first time. Yeah, you have to do. It. And then there's a clock ticking. You know. Yeah. It's like it's like in Star Trek. It's like we like. You have you have 19 minutes till the radiation is lethal. Because then it becomes a Deuce Ex Machina type of ex, uh, save at the end, where you built up the tension just to pull pull the magic wand out and fix it. Yeah, and there's there's, there's always the ticking clock underneath. But that's all right. I mean, these these are all you know story constructions and tropes and, and things that um, everybody uses. Some people maybe kind of use them better than others. They, yeah. They they wove it in beautifully time wise though for the last second save of the baby too that would turn out to be Athena mm-hmm. spoilers oh sorry <laughs> so let's start, things... start off here back at the uh, the beginning of the episode 
Yeah, we're yeah. doing it backwards. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, when the episode starts off, what we do is we see a mixture of Roslyn again brought aboard the Galactica um, for some treatment. Because um, obviously her um, cancer has actually taken a big turn for the worst. And we knew right. that was happening because of little bits and bobs that have happened in the previous episodes. Now, and then... what we do is in between shots of her being taken into the medical bay, um, we see her having little flashbacks. Right. Did you just yeah, say an affair? We... Yeah, no, she was <laughs> yeah, having yeah, an affair. If you watch the commentary, she was yeah, that guy that and her were having an affair. Well, they kissed and made out too. Um, yeah, because you're talking about you're... Boltar and. Um... No, I'm talking about no, her. No, 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 Rusty. No, but her first visions that she's having oh. at this point. Yeah. Is what she gets told is Baltar yeah. and number six. Oh, that's yeah. right. No, that's right. You're yeah. right. No, the, the other visions come later on, which interact with the other story that we briefly touched upon, which right. was this other faction within um, the humans. Um, so, yeah, that comes later on. But the initial um, memories she was remembering was actually of Baltar and six. Right. Um, now, she was just talking politics um, to what is actually the president of the colonies at the time um, back on Caprica. So right. this was sort of showing a little bit more about her personality before she got dumped with the role of president and actually showed that um, she was at that time as well a strong sort of personality who yep. would stand up to what she thought was right. It what didn't just happen after she became president, which because when we first see her, she's sort of very shaken and because of everything that's just happened, and it looks to us that she sort of comes into the role of president and becomes strong then. But this small clip shows that she wasn't that she was a strong sort of personality herself, and yeah. she would stand up for what she thought was right. And would even tell that to the president of the colonies. Yeah, just we'll just I'll just do a quick synopsis of the episode for the listeners, and then because we're going on so many different tangents, it'd be easy that way. So the, basically, the synopsis of this episode is: Rosalind is dying. She's in the final stages of cancer. She's on a deathbed. While she's on a deathbed, she's having flashbacks, uh, which start with her diagnosis on Caprica, lead through to a teacher's dispute, which at some point in the teacher's dispute get violent. Um, one of her decisions on her deathbed is to terminate Boomer's baby because she sees it as a danger to the fleet. While this is going on, Baltar is trying to think of a way to save the baby while also keeping his relationship with Pegasus 6 uh, on the bubble, so to speak. Uh, a fighting goes awry with the Viper uh, to find out that the ammunition has been tampered with, which leads to the Separatists being, you know, little Star Wars thing there, Separatists, leads to the Separatists being uncovered uh, and so basically you've got three plot lines going on you've got uh, Rosalind dying from cancer you've got Boomer's baby being aborted and you've got the separatists and all this is all going on in this episode off you go <laughs> yeah uh, we've also got the sort of smaller sort of the plot lines as well um, to do with Adama and because um, last time we saw him was with um, Kara Thrace uh, saying that he didn't want to survive and this is him he's back on duty and it, he's now sort of 
giving it to the XO going, well, if you don't want me to do my job, sort of thing, get rid of me, and <laughs> sort of ties like, I might just do that. Because <laughs> you remember in the previous episode, he was uh, demoted from being CAG on Galactica and just assigned over to Pegasus. Yeah. Obviously, after Kane was killed, they brought him back. Well, that's this is the that's covered in Razor. What happens there? Then, uh, yeah, Razor's a little bit later. Yeah. Oh, a little trivia too. The the succession later that Rosalyn was um, had ready for Baltar, that was actually behind the scenes based on a real world tradition in uh, for each outgoing president of the United States. They they leave a letter for their successors in the Oval Office, and uh, so they the uh, the letter that appears in the episode is more, less complimentary um, than the ones that they use, you know, in for real because she does she has a personal animosity with him. Maybe. I, I, I can think of a few presidents who might not leave kind words for their pre, uh, successor. <laughs> but they usually, yeah, but they usually try to be more... Although, I, I don't know, I haven't... Well, I, I knew about that, but I, I've never looked... I don't know if the text of any is available. Hmm, they ever that would be interesting. Those? No. Yeah, it well, interesting it, happens, to read. it happens over here as well that the, the outgoming uh, department heads leave messages for the replacements. I mean, the two elections ago, when the Conservative Society of Labour over here... Apparently, the guy who took over the treasury in his letter, the guy who ran the treasury before, left him a note saying, "Welcome to the job. By the way, there's no money left." <laughs> there was another interesting behind-the-scenes story that I was uh, reading about uh, a couple of weeks ago, where um, not a couple of weeks ago, whenever I was asked to come here, I did some research, and I was just—I found it very fascinating. More Ron Moore and most of the writers of Galactica were um, liberals and very left left-wing, and. He he said he wanted to make a, he wanted them to make the bad guys the um, well you know the insurgents um, example basically leftists so he was basically saying make yourselves into the enemy and that was like a challenge to them that he made he, he when they had the writers meeting they were like we're all liberals in this room but the bad guys are liberals so you need to make it like what is the worst parts of ourselves. This is what this group is. If we went too far, yeah, it's interesting. And if seen as the left wing, that um, Gina or Pegasus Six telephone is a Bang and Olufsen because that's not very left wing. Because <laughs> clock there is a telephone is a Bang and Olufsen. Jeez, that girl's <laughs> got tased. That girl's got tased. Yeah, they in my room, did... I want a Bang and Olufsen telephone. They also were um, were were originally they didn't want to bring back Caprica Six. Um, they were, but, but they um, after the, what happened in the premiere of that for that season. But Ron Moore uh, had a second thought, and he realized Baltar is more interesting when she's with him at all times than he is without her. So they rewrote um, and reshot some scenes to weave it, her back into the show. Yeah, and yet again we have Baltar walking down the corridor, <laughs> talking, being, to being, like, talking to himself. <laughs> And yep. he's handheld by Caprica Six, and every and no one thinks this guy's nuts. Exactly. Well, I just love the stares that he gets. Especially, there's a point where he, she grabs him by the tie, and she put, and he's he himself. puts his hand yeah. over hers, and all you get is him holding his tie. <laughs> and everyone's just what you get staring at him. Those, those looks is like everybody knows he's nuts, and and everybody thinks he's nuts. It's just I think they're starting to get used to him, and nobody says anything. That's the funny part is that um, 
that like for there's a saying that paranoia is a healthy fear of the unknown. Sometimes paranoia is justified. It's, it's a defense mechanism. In his case, he wasn't nuts. We as the audience know that he had something inside of him that kind of was linking him to the Cylons, and so on a virtual level. So he was he wasn't crazy, but he came across that way. Yeah, it's not paranoia. Oh, absolutely, we're yeah. really after you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although there was there was one scene when I think it was. I think she was holding his wrist or something, pulling him down the stairs. And you do see one of the crew members kind of like get behind some yeah. barrels or something. It's thinking this guy's nuts, I'm getting out of the way. Well no, whenever he did he did it in, in the episodes, people did look at him, but they didn't they just didn't act on it because, well, he's the vice president. Plus he's been knocking around the ship for doesn't it say at, at the beginning of this episode, like it's been 198 days or something like that. It's actually only been two weeks since the two-part two opener. They they had rescripted it or whatever to make sure people figured out that it had been only two weeks. Um, no, because on a previous episode we've. Uh, oh oh oh! I know what you're saying now. Since yeah, yeah. The, since the apocalypse. Since again. the yeah. since the attack. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also a scientist, and he's he does always the mad scientist syndrome. That's true. So you know. They just think, oh, it's Bolter. There you huh. go. I hadn't thought about that, the eccentricity yeah. factor, yeah. Cause he w- and he was famous before the attack as well. So I think a lot of people would have heard of him he... even, even before this. Yeah, Although he was. He was, he, he was probably not quite so crazy. He was kind of, you know who reminds me of his character now that, I, now that you mentioned that? I don't know if any of you guys watched the current Flash TV series. Absolutely. Yeah. He reminds me of Earth 2 Wells. From Star Labs, he's a public awesome a guy. Hmm. A combination of the original Wells and Earth Two Wells. Yeah, Earth Two Wells is not charming at all. He's not two two individuals, but he is. He puts on a different face for the public, like when he was giving all those speeches oh, and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Now, and Baltar is like that, except except Baltar is more honest. Even if, that's the funny thing about him is he's honest to a fault, but he's being influenced by Six to to do all these immoral things. Yeah, he he's honest, um, but he's also very easily. He's, he's honest, but and and he's also his primary thing is self interest. Oh yep. god, yeah. Until later in the series, when that takes which is why an unbelievable twist. Yeah, which is why he's a perfect politician. But then yeah. he only really which is why thinks... he's basically only honest to himself. Yeah, the thing is, he only starts realizing that in himself in this episode when he finally reads the letter mm-hmm. from Roslyn, which. She warns him of himself and says he needs to be better and to, um, what was it, have a heart. And ironically, that both saved her life. Well, no, actually, Six influenced him to save her life. It saved her life and help him get reignited into his desire to become Well, no, Six didn't, um, Six what didn't want him to save oh, Roslyn's yeah, right. life. Six yeah, wanted she, she him to save the baby's life. Right, he, that was his way of, yeah, of having an excuse to save the baby. Yeah, because the baby becomes a long-running underlying story. Yeah. Which we'll get to in later episodes. Um, what do you think about um, the the, um, the separatist movement and the fact that they're, they're willing to surrender to the people that are trying to wipe out the human race? Well, um, we should start a bit about saying what they find out about it, they are wanting peace um, with the Cylons, aren't they? And later on in the episode, we actually find out that it's actually led by one of the Sixes, which is Gina, which Baltar helped in 
the last episode to escape from yeah. Pegasus. Right. And he's in love with her, and he because she's the first she's the first physical version of six he's run across, and he's tired of only having the one in his head. Well, the first obsessed. the first physical one he's come across since um, the since, destruction of Caprica. Right, since Caprica Six is what I'm going to call yeah. her. Yeah. Well, it's not the one that briefly six. in season one that accused him of being a traitor and then disappeared. Yeah, and but, also this six beats him up as well. <laughs> Every, everybody beats him up, yeah. especially yeah. sixes. Especially sixes, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're basically a, a group of humans who are led by a Cylon to try and make peace with the Cylons that are hunting them down with the express intention of wiping them all out. Yeah, that's uh, going to work. <laughs> but interestingly, when it comes to um, oh, um, Sharon Valenti's um, being Sharon Valenti being told about her pregnancy going to be terminated at the president's request. Um, oh no, things... that wasn't a request. That was an order. Well, no, the request was given to personnel to right source it. Um, when that request came down and she was told, um, she was going, "Why can't they understand that we're not all the same?" And that sort of continues this part of the storyline as well. And it's amazing how this is all more coming out to be relevant based on all the current modern events with the, all the extremist attacks from the terrorists in real life. Yeah. And and the comparison to how not all Muslims are the same. You know, it's that's the, any science, even though technically it wasn't supposed to be science fiction, that's what makes something hold up the test of time. It's like Star Trek. It's if, you, if you send a message that somehow comes to life in our real world later it's more powerful and you can revisit it and say wow they had that that idea this is an example of something to look at to think about what's going on right now and not be not be compartmentalizing what's happening now and not remembering the past and the fact that people have been able to even create stories about these situations of what could happen well, that's the whole point it is happening and it's very similar to this episode yeah I remember we, when we, this was first coming out um I, I can't remember who said it, but it, it was um, somebody likened it to you know every, everything is uh, create everything that's created is a product of the time in which it was created, and this is very much a a post nine eleven type of world. Yeah, and reflected the the attitudes and the things that were happening to us at that time because of course it uh, you know it started in two thousand four and nine eleven was still very much um, in the public consciousness. I mean, it still is to some extent, but uh, you know, they, all, all of those messages and those things that we were experiencing, they come through in the show. Yeah, but they it wasn't just 9-11 that they've used in many parts of this show as well. So if you can see where they sort of look back to things that happen in like World War Two, Yep, the and, Holocaust. Yep. Yeah, there mm-hmm. are so many back references to things like that. And well, it's humankind on a survival mode. And having come out of a situation myself... And my eyes are different now than I was like a few months ago. You know, I was living on, I literally was li- like homeless and living out of my car for a, f- a few months before I got a new place. And I was on survival mode. So I know what it's like. So when you watch a show like this, and you see, when you're sitting back comfortable and everything's fine, you watch a show like this, you can only kind of sympathize to the degree where if you haven't experienced some of what you're seeing, it's only going to resonate on a certain level. That's like if you watch the first JJ Star Trek movie. I- I'm a father. And um, and your father Steve, and th- and the thing is, is, when you watch Kirk, his dad sacrificing himself for 
his soon-to-be-born son and all that stuff, it hit me harder because I was a father. But if somebody's not a father, it may not affect them the same way or they might not even care at all about what they're looking at. So when I compare this thing, like I'm watching these people trying to survive and doing what they got to do while trying to maintain their dignity and all that stuff, now I have a different perspective. And I think it depends on who your audience is. But when you're talking about the general survival of the human race, this is a fear that we should all look at as it could have something, some kind of a disaster could happen very easily, whether it's a terrorist attack, whether it's an attack from another country, whether it's a meteor or just, you know, something natural. Um, We got to this is showing what humans, how they kind of reorganize themselves but they're trying to maintain their morality. It's hard. It's not as easy as it looks because when you're in that situation, it's different than watching it and having the, the privilege to say, well, that would make a nice story, but you don't, you don't have anything to connect to it. Yeah, and the morality thing goes through with Rosling's visions because her visions are about dealing with the teacher strike and how they That's was a good being, point. Was being violent and so on and so forth. And well, when these, she comes out of the vision... It's ironic because she's a teacher, but she's getting schooled. Yeah. Well, the thing is, these aren't visions. These are different than the visions that she's had before. These are actually memories. Right. So the, this I, is something completely the day different. before the attacks. Yeah, well, the whole but, but she, uses, she uses her experience of the teacher's strike to deal with the separatists. Right. Yes, because of the, uh, um, uh, the whole idea of um, negotiating with, uh, with people making demands. Yeah, and, and avoiding violence. I mean... Yeah. You know, because we've had the suicide bomb. We've had, um, I mean, I counted uh, three bodies going into space when they blew it up. So they've already killed three humans in the pursuit of making peace with the Cylons. So she knows that it's, it's not going to get any better unless you talk based on what happened with the teacher's strike. Well, I find it interesting in the beginning where her initial um, thing is to give that executive order to terminate the fetus um not fetus, it was a, almost a full, full baby at that point, but to terminate the pregnancy, I should say, um, because she would never, the Rosalind before, before this, one of the things Ron Moore said in, a, in his commentaries that he does after each episode is the Rosalind who, the pre-apocalypse Rosalind would never have told them to, ter- to terminate a child. She would have been the most, you know, she would have been a leftist, um, you know, woman who would never do that. But this Rosalind is the war-hardened Rosalind, and she's not the same person anymore. I remarked in the last episode that I thought it was fantastic how when they were in the situation with Admiral Kane, Rosalind was the one who says, you got to kill her. That it shows was, how far she has come. Yep. And it, not, in a, not necessarily in a bad way. I mean, she's just learned no, you, you have to make tough decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting in Ronald D. Moore's comments about this episode as well, because he actually says that um, some of the stuff they wanted to do, they didn't do because they didn't want to get bogged down in certain instances. Um, They wanted to to basically keep the storyline moving along while telling everyone what was going on. So they could have easily got plugged down in, in politics. This entire episode could have just been politics. Nope, this episode was about... The, it wasn't just the cancer thing. It was this episode was about the the coming full circle with certain character development. It was about, um, of course, the the, the 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 one that steals the show is, in my opinion, is Baltar and Six. There, and that's 
we're not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna spoil anything not, not that it matters because everybody's seen the show already but Baltar and Six are the running thread through this entire series all the way up to the very last moment and when you're watching it now looking back and, and revisiting these episodes it's more interesting because I know how, where it's headed and to see and pay attention to certain little details of his development with his inner inner monologue, I guess you might say, with with six, it's it's like a journey. It's like you're watching this thing and you don't know where it's going. But now that I do, I look back, I find it more fascinating. He's an incredible actor, um, and I think that his character was handled beautifully because the Baltar on the original series was completely different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Baltar is is one of the characters in the whole series that. Evolves into many different. He's facets. like um, he's like the Doctor on Lost in Space, and only in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I see that. Yeah, we just gotta, drop gotta the robot I mean, now, the, then, don't worry. The original, of course, Baltar was John Colicos, who I know from Star Trek, playing one of the Klingons. Oh yeah, he did. He played the such, Klingon Kang or whatever. His name yeah, is. and he's such fantastic, sort of big, larger than life, scenery chewing, operatic actor. I completely and, forgot he was the Klingon. That's wow just blew my mind mm-hmm. and he comes back in one of my favorite episodes which is uh the you know, ds9, DS9. yeah yeah and um i mean the baltar in the new series or you know the quote new series it's 10 years old of course um is such a inversion of that because he's also a larger than life scenery chewing kind of guy but in such a different way he's he's and he's so watchable and in He's like this almost horrible person that you can't look away from, you can't help this rooting is, for. <laughs> this is going to be a weird analogy, but he almost reminds me of Ares on Xena. Um, because Ares, I don't know if you guys ever watched Xena uh, when it was on, but Ares on Xena was the villain, and he was always doing his crap. But there came up, there was one episode where he lost his powers, and he became a human for a while. And Xena, even though she hated him, she helped him out. And because she helped him out, even when he got his powers back... He changed. In something changed in him, and he started actually. He had to fight his own evil to help her and her daughter in um, one episode. Help her kill the Greek gods and turn on them. And Zena looked at him. She's just like, "Thank you." She couldn't believe that he did that for her and her and her kid to save her kid. And but then he went back to being an asshole again. But Ares, um, sorry, you can bleep that out later. Um, if I don't know if you guys bleep it out, but um, no, we don't. Okay, but uh, Ares reminds me of Baltar because he started off just not caring about anybody but himself and then something happened in the middle of the show that made him see things differently and it changed and then he was struggling with his morality like he failed a lot but he, he was trying at least and I see that in Baltar that's what you call character development That's but, but in this way is what I'm saying it's like he's like struggling he wants to do the right thing but at the end of the day he's self preservation yeah well Ultimately, human survival is paramount to all of us. None of us want to die. No, not. But he, you can see the struggle in his decisions he's making. He want. He doesn't. He wants to do the right thing when certain decisions have to be made, and then he's got six whisper in his ear and only telling him to do it if it serves her interests. So it's just a matter of coincidence. Does him doing the right thing serve the Cylons? Then she'll encourage him to do it. But if it doesn't, she gets pissed at him. But he sometimes does what he's got to do anyways, even when she's mad. Well, what he, she tells him is not always what serves the Cylons. We learn that very early on when she tells him about the device and things like that. Yeah, that's true. So, because at this, 
at this time, we still don't exactly know what she is. We know what she isn't um, because of things that have happened, but right. we still don't know exactly what she is, how she is, and whether she is properly connected to the Cylons from a particular time or continuously or, yeah, a whole heap of other things. Right. So, speaking of preservation then and, and his motives and, and so on, what about him giving them the nuke? Yeah, well... Well, a lot of this is essentially starting to set up the final episode. I mean, we don't... We didn't know it yet at the time. Um, I think... But that's, think, that's at least part ahead, of what's sorry. going on here. Um, I was just going to say that... Um, I think it would have been more interesting if the nuke and Gina were on Galactica and not that other ship. Because I think the fact that they were on that other ship makes it easier for him to make a decision like that because it won't really hurt him if she sets it off. Yeah, there's there's a couple of problems with him giving her the nuke. First of all, he's basically giving her the, the capability to take out a proportion of the fleet if she does it properly. The other problem is the fact that the known leader of, or presumed leader of the resistance, is allowed to leave uh, the battle star without being searched. And did he bring luggage with him when he came? That well, you got a good <laughs> point there. How the hell did he smoke unknowingly bring a nuke? Well, because Baltar. We could exposition this a little bit because Baltar's vice president. He may pulled some strings. Well, thing is, Baltar could have met him in the hangar. Yeah, that's true. So he could have passed it off and left it in the Raptor for him, saying, "This is your stuff back." Then the Marines and that with him wouldn't have known what he came in with unless they. They've got. Well, no, you actually see him wheeling it to the Raptor. Yeah, he but he's, vice he's actually wheeling the suitcase to the Raptor. Now, my first thing was, yeah, but did if he bring Baltar... with him? Yeah, but if Bolta um, had met him there saying, this is your stuff back, sort of just outside the hangar bay, and spoke to him, no one's going to think anything of it, and then he wheels it on, sort of thing. Well, it isn't just that. They, they've, had to, um, they've had to digress on their, on their tech ever since the attack, so they don't have the sophistication to just, just detect something like that as, as easily as they could have if otherwise, because no, they're... No, they're I mean, they probably wouldn't have picked it up anyway because, as, yeah. as, as most people know, space is full of radiation. That's so right. you're going to have background radiation anyway. So if you're going to have radiation sensors yeah. on a ship, it's going to pick up radiation all the time. Good Not point. to mention that it's very unlikely he would have been searched and that on the way out because he was kept in captivity. So he was arrested. So the stuff he would have been given back by somebody would have been authorized. Yeah, but Baltar so, knew what to do to get past all the checkpoints and things, yeah. and, uh, procedures. So, yeah, I don't see that as being a big problem. The Marines aren't going to think twice of anything he's carrying out because in order to have that, he would have been given it by somebody who they would assume had authority because, let's face it, it's not like it is a battle star in space. It's not like lots of it, stuff can come in. They're like, not going to be they thinking... Don't have the TSA. Yeah, I was searching yeah, everyone. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was gonna, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. Not TSA, but yeah, that's good. That's a good exa- example right there. I was going to say, once you get in airport security, once you get past that metal detector, unless there's an alarm going off there, they don't. You're anybody uh, beyond that point. What you are going to assume you've already gone through the proper procedures. They're not going to harass you. So all Baltar had to do was get past a certain off-camera checkpoint to get him to the point where he could keep going with that suitcase. Yeah. Now, the other thing is, um, Rosalind's been cured by Khan's blood. Um, 
So now that that's happened, how does that fit in with um, the priestess's thing about the dying leader? Yeah. Lead, leading them to Earth. But the thing is, is with these things, she was dying. So just because she isn't now doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. But it's like a lot of these prophecies, there can be a lot of interpretation and a lot of these prophecies are passed down. So nothing's ever going to completely fit. And that's the thing with like any of the Bibles or anything else like that. You can look at it and go, yeah, no, that would have never happened. And well, you can also, also look at it going, well, that would fit if you can always find something that fits and something that won't in any prophecy yeah, or I mean, religious you, text. Walter wasn't ready for the presidency too. He he his selfish reason for doing it was he he wasn't it wasn't time. So he wanted to bring her back. That well that was part of his strategy also to save the baby. Yeah. But yeah, he, when he was um, sitting in the big chair, he looked really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. When you have a miraculous recovery like this, it's only going to seem like a miracle and just sort of grow the myth of Laura Roslin in the eyes of people who already believe, especially. And it might convert people who don't. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah. it only helps the, the separatists if you think about it, because it was Cylon blood that saved her. True. So that makes it seem like Propaganda we're supposed. To, it's it makes it seem like we're meant to be with them, not against them. Yeah, and it was actually uh, half human, half Cylon blood, which which plays that's, into their that's, things that's, even better. <laughs> that right there and, and, and George, that is an ironic statement as well that we're meant to be with them and not against them, considering what happens later in the series. Exactly. We, spoilers. We won't do much with that. <laughs> Yet. I don't know if are we really spoiling when everybody this is such a dated show now? <laughs> you well, never know. We try and we're spoiling each ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we usually try and keep to this episode and what's done previously. So if somebody it, has started watching yeah. it that hasn't watched it before. Oh yeah, okay, good point. So But it but it um, certainly is interesting to think about things from the perspective of having seen the whole thing and now going back from yeah. the beginning. Um just try not to give away too much okay that's no I, yeah. Steve we did right. actually get we did actually get some emails at the start from people who saying that was that was watching along with us oh all right see I, when steve mentioned that earlier that made sense to me because you got I, I never considered there's people out there who haven't watched the show and this is how they're getting into it so yeah I, i'll keep what I'm, i'll keep an eye on what i'm saying yeah <laughs> i mean we, we do warn people that every now and again we will hint at things so they are yeah. they are aware that we hint at things but because, because it is 10 years on, and you know, that's sort of understandable, yeah. I think. Yeah. Besides which, because we've had like, you know, gaps between our recording scheduling, I should say, they're probably ahead of us now anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, one of the things we usually cover, of course, is um, the episode count. Now, we know at the end of um, the last episode that we'd lost, of course, Admiral Kane. And was there one or two Marines that were killed? By Gina, I think it was just the one in the um, the cell, wasn't there? Yeah, at least one. So, but the count was actually down six. Um, well, from... you can imagine because they did they went through a big battle, so I mean, you can imagine that uh, they lost a few people there. Yeah, he's going to be down again it, next it week because I just blew some exactly, up. But... <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um... What was it? It's four thousand five hundred ninety-eight because it's over Boltar's shoulder when he sits in the big chair. Yeah, and they actually talk about it. They do. For the first time in a while, uh, they talk about the count, and uh, Billy says, you know, that number means everything to her. Yeah. Baltar doesn't care. Wait, no, it's 40,000, not 4,000. Yeah, 49,598. Yeah. I was going to say, that's a pretty small human population for all those ships. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I grew up in a city bigger than that. The little bit of the city that I used to live in was more than that, so there you go. That was, that was just our suburb. 
Well, it, it goes to show how dire they are to survive as a species. Yeah. And th- this was a civilization that was spread across 12 planets. Yeah. Yeah. And this I, actually, I, actually, I actually did look into these when we first started recording, and a geneticist actually, um, I can't think where the article was now because it was so long ago already. Basically, you, in order to have a viable uh, genetic diversification, you need at least 10,000 people, which what I thought was interesting because in Star Trek, when they blow up Vulcan, there's 10,000 Vulcans. Ah. In the, yeah, and they followed up with that in the um, the official comics, even though the comics they are supposedly canon, but f- at least for this JJ Trek stuff, they did a follow up about that, and y- that creeped me out too. Well, I'm talking about Star Trek now. Sorry, that creeped. I was just gonna say, no, that's it, right. it, we, it we creeped do me out that Leonard Nimoy at the end is like basically saying, yeah, he says, yeah, the Vulcan. I have to help repopulate Vulcan. You know, you, I got this. Is what he's saying. He's basically saying, old guy's gonna go. And, and bang the uh, Vulcan girls. <laughs> That's what he's basically saying. He's like, no, no, no. You go fly off with the Enterprise. I'll go take care of it. Wink, wink. Yeah, but he can only do it every seven years. No. That's when the... When, when That's when the, pl- the mating That's drive. When the, but the I think they can do whatever makes they want. them do it, but they they can do it. They have the desire to please their Oh, partners. God, yeah. T'Pol, T'Pol does it whenever she wants yeah. to retreat. So there you go. Well, the, the writer of A Mock Time... I was in, when I was going back to school, she did a lecture at our college um, back, back in 2010 when I went back to school as an adult. Um, she, did the, the, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but the, the lady who wrote A Mock Time, which was the episode that created the whole concept of the Ponfar, she said, and this is like pseudo-canon because you know, it wasn't said on air, but she said people misunderstand how the Ponfar works. That's when people, they're compelled to do it. Just, but that doesn't mean they don't want to do it on their on their own time. Tuvok had kids that were out of order, uh, as far as the seven year cycles, which and not be and not because one of them was in a different sink than the other, but because they they do mate for pleasure too. It's just that the Ponfars, when their emotions are out of control and they have to sate it. Do they mate it, for pleasure though? Because isn't pleasure an emotion? It they they have emotions. They control them. There's well, that's a, yeah, to pulsize, they suppress them. Exactly. Well, they have that neuron in their brain or whatever that makes it yeah. easier for them. Uh, it developed over time. But what happens is if they don't vent it every seven years, and it's not all about sex either. It's not a mating thing. They made it into a ritual. No, nah, they can have a really good fist fight. That's why, they can, that's why they can purge it with a fight too, because it's an emotional venting. It's not sex. It's They chose to make a ritual out of it because it's the most peaceful way to vent it out. But it's not the only way. If it was, it would be all about sex and mating. Yeah. Anyway, Battlestar. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Back, back to Battlestar, <laughs> you know, which is not about Vulcan sex. It's about robot sex. People yeah, have sex all the time on Galactica, so that's totally different. By the way, did you notice Adama still had his commander's uniform on? Oh, did he? I hadn't yeah. noticed that one. Yeah, he's got his, he's got his Admiral's rank peep. Oh, right, yeah. commander uniform. Yeah, I thought you were talking about the pips. Um, his, uh, his uniform was probably in the cleaners. Well, yeah, the thing is, was, is technically yeah. he wouldn't have had an admiral's uniform because he would have been issued that with a proper promotion had he been back on Caprica. So I would have expected so him to still have him one. Yeah. <laughs> so I would. One. That's true. Yeah. So I would have expected him to keep the same uniform, but just have the new pips because That's true, it's not they don't like have, um, they don't have a sewing department. They don't have replicas. <laughs> yeah. No one bought a sewing machine along. Is when it comes to sort of the usual. Um, sort of soldiers' uniforms and things like that, you would expect them to have a whole stockpile of those anyway. But when it comes to 
sort of like the top tier ones. I don't expect them to have had much in the way of spares, so I don't think that um, he would have had an animal's uniform, and it's not exactly like he would fit into canes. <laughs> so, send, it, it send is, a it note is funny. They to the people at the United they Nations. To, they don't ever seem to run out of uniforms, do they? No, no, they just haven't got an animal's one anywhere. That's kind of weird. I never thought about that. Well, the thing is, if you're in space, you would have expected to have stores which would have just had uniforms in there. So I would have thought that you would have actually had a stock full of... Ad- You're going to recycle computers. the ones from, from when people die, too, and you patch them up. This is true. Yeah, you've also got to remember that now they've got all the stuff from Pegasus as well. Yeah, yeah. that's true. They got, they, they got a double access. But again, the only Admiral's uniform they would have would be spares from Kane. Right. So you would have expected Adama still to use um, to use to wear his um, commander's well, like, uniform. They probably do have some civilians on the ships um, that do the, that. They that became the, the seamstresses or whatnot that do that. Yeah, they could just they could just do a bit of a of alteration work on one of Kane's ones. Yeah. You know, cut it cut it a little closer on the chest and stuff like that. <laughs> so. Um... There was one thing I was thinking about when I was watching this episode. Okay, so Laura Roslin has these visions. And memories. she sees... Memories, yes. And she sees something that she didn't know that she noticed before. Which is Baltar and Caprica 6. Yeah. Of course, she knows what a 6 looks like now. She didn't before. Um, and didn't know that was a Cylon. However, she doesn't say anything when she comes out of it. No, she goes to say something to Baltar, but he stops her. Yeah, because he doesn't know she's That's going right, to yeah. say that. He puts a hand down and goes, "No, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, just he has rest. no idea." But yeah. when um, sort of is it this episode where they have the conversation about him stepping down? No, no, that's no, that's, yeah. that's another episode, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, this, this she comes but, she comes out of the coma. Um, she points at Baltar because she she remembers seeing yeah. him. And she's about to say something to him about it, and he grabs her hand, puts it down, and says, mm-hmm. "No, no, no, just rest." And and that's interesting because after that, she must have reconsidered saying something. Obviously, she was, you know, when she got more in her right mind, um, and decided to keep it sort of under her hat. Yeah, she, she right now she's got to deal with the people who are trying to like damage the fleet, so mm-hmm. she she's just going to file that away for future reference. And I, I was not remembering if it actually came back into play, if she ever does let that out. Um, because, you know, going back and re-watching these episodes, some of these I have not seen since the original airing of the show. Um, because some of these aren't the stronger episodes and aren't the rewatchable episodes. Some of these are the ones that you skip around when you're doing a rewatch. Um, yeah. If you're, not, if you're not purposely trying to do every episode. Yeah. Well, okay. Spoilers here, folks. If you don't want to know, pause, jump ahead two or three minutes, something like that. She doesn't actually bring it back up to him in the future. No, she does that with Adama. Yeah. Okay. Because she talks about what she remembers um, in her um, sort of semi-conscious state, um, but she doesn't actually mention it to him, to Bolter. That's that's triggering triggering memories for me. <laughs> I think I think. Well, I know she probably scenes. wasn't sure I think I know too whether, whether she's remembering accurately or if it was a dream that was mixed up with her experiences. 
She was rather heavily medicated. Yeah, yep. and I think that's why she mentioned she doesn't mention it to him, but she mentions yeah. it to Adama. In the uh, the con blood, it does things to your mind. Yeah, that's it. Anything else that anyone wants to raise about this episode, or are um, you done? Well, the only other thing that I've made a note of is when Agathon um, he goes and sort of when Adama's taking um, Valenti into the medical bay and he basically stands in the doorway to stop him. Yeah, yeah with and his hand on his gun. Yeah. It's a great, great episode for um, Tamo Pennicut. Yeah, who, uh, although he's really, really one of my favorite people on this show. Yeah, although his part in this episode is pretty small, it's sort of quite telling to his character. And there is a line which I love, sort of, um, was it? Um, I guess it's easier to kill when you call it a Cylon. Yes, yes. Wait, are you talking about the guy who's the father of the baby? Yes. Yeah, he's a... Hilo. Hilo, yeah. Yeah, and he he sizes it right to his face as well. He's toe-to-toe with him when he sizes that. Yeah. Guys, I'll be right back. I just gotta go by it real quick. (laughs) Um, Hilo's always an interesting character because he seems like one of those few people who can really have a real conversation with Adama. And without rank always getting in the way, yeah, it seems like there's a mutual respect. There's a, yeah, he, he doesn't tend to pull punches around him. Well, we found that Hilo, he will actually just say what he thinks, regardless of any rank at any time. Yeah. Um, now, what we don't know, of course, is whether or not that's because of everything that's happened, or whether he was always like that. <laughs> um, we don't really know that much. No, but. We also got to bear in mind that he was basically stranded on Caprica for a long time on his own. Yeah, and uh, since then, and because he was in this relationship with one of the Cylons, he's always had to sort of stand up to what he thinks is right. Though maybe that sort of puts him into the sort of this um, position where yeah. he's just going to say <laughs> that. I'm going to say what I like with this because, especially as it's talking about his son or. Um, daughter mm-hmm. as well, which um, he doesn't consider to be a military matter. He's, you know, this is his life. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was um, sort of an interesting thing. It's easier to kill when you call them, um, when you call it a Cylon. Which is always that thing about dehumanizing the enemy. Yeah. Makes it easier for soldiers to kill. Yeah. At least they didn't call it a toaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The only other th- thing that I'd noted down was um, President Ada, when he turned round to her and said, um, one of the things about being president is you don't have to explain yourself to anyone. Because um, I think Rosalind actually uses that in this episode, but I think she's actually used it in another one as well. Yeah, I was remembering that too. And I think she said at some point, you know what President Adar taught me. <laughs> yeah. You didn't. You don't have to explain yourself to me. Yeah, I think that's one of the earlier episodes, and she actually uses it again um, in either this episode or um, one coming up soon. So it's good the way sort of you see the history of where these things come into place and actually see it on screen, not just said. So it's good that they're bringing things back from earlier in the series. And that, that that's well. actually a good point. I never thought about that before. State Galactica. It, does a lot of flashbacks um, to revisit things we didn't know um, instead of just saying it like you said. That's interesting. And there, there's even more of Aurora Rosin later on, but um, this one is always interesting to me because it, 
where it ends is she's kind of on the outs with the president. I mean, she's going to try and fight to keep her job as a secretary, but she, the president asked her to resign the, the day before she was ready to go to Galactica, which yeah, is also the same point she got her diagnosis. Yeah, because um, this is when, because of course at the time that we see all these flashbacks, we don't know when in the timeline this is until that sort of last yeah, until the very part. last one. And she t- turns around and says, right, I'm off to the Galactica for... Because um, there's the educational thing on it, wasn't there? That she Flashbacks, was not to sidetrack, but um, in general, as a as a, as a, te- a storytelling tool. Um, one of my fa- best-received Foundry missions for Star Trek Online, I used uh, the second part of, a, of, of an episode was a flashback. And I got a lot of credit for that because it, people don't do that a lot with flashbacks they just tell you something like you were saying Steve and it really makes a huge difference I mean people like flashbacks they like seeing even if it was retro they like seeing what they're talking about and and then having that weave itself back into the story yeah definitely something that um, Bellsar Galactica has done really well something that um, other shows have done really well too like uh, The Walking Dead and um, I can't think of any other any show with an apocalypse I think has to have an um, yeah, because you, you want to know who these people were and what they were doing before the Whether apocalypse. Whether it's zombies or something else, yeah. Call it, right. you have to go. Yeah, I've got to go to work. Uh, <laughs> it's well, it very nice to meet you. <laughs> right, well, well, we'll just wrap this up. So Yeah, we can wrap up this one. Yeah, so that's the pick for these folks. Uh, we'll be back next with Black Market. So, George, tell people where they can find you on the internet. Chooch99A, C-H-O-O-C-H, 99A is my Twitter. Uh, you can Google Bat Radio. We don't really have a website, but we have a Facebook, Google Plus. Uh, Star Trek uh, Starfinder is USSStarfinder.com, and we have a Facebook page too. And we have one coming up called Ambrosia, which has a Facebook page. Um, it's in the middle of production, and that is Doctor Who based. And you can find me on Straight Out of Gallifrey. You can Google that. It's easy. Cool. Stay. As always, people can find me at Midnight Shadow 7. That's Night spelt N-I-T-E and number seven, as well as um, from Holosweetmedia.com some podcasts that I'm on there. <laughs> Sob. Uh, <laughs> drug. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can top that. Um, basically, you can find me on Twitter at D-R-O-G-Y-N-1701. There you go, folks. Uh, you can find me on Google Plus and Twitter at C-O-L-M-H-0-1. And also, if you are a Star Trek fan, uh, recently Shrek FM have started doing a 50th anniversary research of every show of Star Trek. Oh, you're on Trek FM. Uh, you might know a friend of mine, Jesse Markell. He writes for you guys. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. So, uh, if you if you it's from here to there. So if you tune into that, then I'm I'm on some of them as well, Max. Ah, I'd love to listen to it. So, um, and of course, Steve, they can uh, contact us, can't they? Yep, they can get hold of us at Frackstars. So that's F-R-A-K, because I know some people do use a C. Um, and then stars, and that's with a normal S, because I know some people have done it with a Z before. So, uh, yeah, at Frackstars, we'd love you to get in contact. Yeah, and of course, folks, there's other podcasts on Hollowsweet Media, so please do check out our friends across Hollowsweet Media and check out George's podcasts. Um, basically, if you just Google Steve, every other podcast will be covered by him. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, even agrees with me. So, well, just quickly, um, one of the things that we always struggle to do is to think of something to sign out with. 
So um, one of the Battlestar Galactica Facebook groups I've um, joined, um, it's titled Battlestar Galactica and Caprica, and it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash rebel fleet. I actually put the question to them, um, said right in the podcast, usually struggle at the end to think of something to say, so I've got some ideas, so my sign off today will actually be an idea from Stacey Catherine. Go on then. So, actual out. Oh, that's a good one. Well done, Stacey. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, folks, uh, as I said, we're on Hallowsweet Media. We're also on iTunes. If you listen via iTunes, please leave us a review because it helps us get noticed when people put Battlestar into the search bar. Uh, greatly appreciate that. So until next week when we're talking about Black Market, not next week, next episode. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. And we'll speak to you soon. Take care, everyone. Actually. Uh,